Good morning, church. Man, what an exciting time to be together this morning as we come together as the family of God to celebrate our risen Savior together in one voice, praising His name, lifting His name on high, celebrating that empty grave. Because of that, you and I can overcome the world around us. Amen. Amen. We have such a blessed life because of Jesus Christ, and I know uh, that we are excited about that, lean into that story, live out that story each and every day. But what a joy it is the first day of the week to always come together as the family of God in united voice. Uh, to praise his name, to dig into the word of God, to see how we're called to live, to gather around the Lord's table and celebrate uh, the sacrifice that he made for us so that we could overcome. I know we've got some guests here this morning. Thank you for joining us, being a part of our time together. We are truly honored that you're here. And of course, if you're looking for a church home, man, we'd love for you to think about Crosspoint being that place you could call home to join us in telling the story of Jesus Christ. Uh, what a great opportunity you and I have right here in Grand Prairie, in the metro, and around the world to share with people what Jesus Christ has done for us. And they can also be a recipient of that blessing as well. We're going to be in Mark chapter 12 this morning. I hope you've got your Bibles and will turn with me there. We'll be there in just a few moments. We'll also look at a couple of other stories from uh, God's Word this morning, uh, and they'll be on the uh, screen as well. We're in the second week now of Beautiful Interference, and I want to start with kind of describing what that sermon title actually means. It's uh, really from Mark chapter 1, and it's this idea where Jesus is in ministry, he's in a synagogue and he's teaching, and there's a man that's possessed, comes into the synagogue, goes toe-to-toe with Jesus Christ, and asks the question, Jesus of Nazareth, why are you interfering with us? And I dare say in our own life, we at times ask that same question of Jesus. Because we fail to build margin in our life to be receptive to an interaction a community, a spiritual moment with God. Our calendars are so full. We are so busy with the kids and school and cooking and work and travel and hobbies that many times you and I at the end of the week discover that we've just not had time or created time to interact with our Heavenly Father. But what we discover along the way is that if we will take time to live how God has called us to live, To live in such a way that we're loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If we take time to create margin in our life, it will be a beautiful interference in our life. That what we find out is that the life that we're called to live in Christ, although initially we might ask the question, why are you interfering with me? We discover that it's actually beautiful. Because we are leaning into our purpose, leaning into why we're created, leaning into the story that God is unfolding in the world around us. And he calls us into that story. I don't know how many of you have ever had a moment where you doubted someone in your life. Raise your hand if you've ever doubted somebody in your life, something. Yeah, most of us in here would agree with that. Moments we had questions about how people really felt about us or interacted with us. I'm recalling a story with my two younger brothers when we lived on some islands called Vanuatu in the South Pacific. We went to a British primary school. I was in the sixth grade. So at school, I spoke the Queen's English, believe it or not. And then at home, I spoke American. It was great. It was great. But I remember this particular recess. I was playing on the playground with my friends. And the middle brother, Wit, runs up to me. And he says, hey, Chris needs our help. The youngest brother, Chris needs our help. It appears that he 
had some stomach issues that day and he was trying to get to the bathroom and he didn't quite make it to the bathroom. And when the story was divulged, my answer back was, what brother Chris? I don't have a brother Chris. And so Witt had to go deal with the issue himself and I stayed with my friends on the playground. I got home that evening to understand and better get my head wrapped around. It was so bad that the principal had to take all of his clothes off. He went home in nothing but a raincoat. It was rough. And my guess is in the moment that my brother kind of looked at me and thought, hmm, I'm not sure if this guy really loves and cares about me. I have some doubts about his connectivity to me as his brother. And you've had moments like that as well. When a family member said that they had your back, they were going to be there no matter what. They would help you move. They would pay back the money, whatever the situation. And for whatever reason, they never showed up. It never happened. You begin to doubt whether or not it was true what they're saying about you. The words and actions really don't match up. Maybe for you it was a a coach during your playing time. This is the game where you're going to get to go in the game, but the score was so close you ended up staying on the bench and you wondered, does the coach even know I'm on the team? I doubt seriously if I'm ever going to get to play this sport that I love so much. Maybe it was in your marriage and some things were said and done along the way where you begin to doubt whether or not your life partner was truly committed to the the vows that you had said earlier in your journey together. It could be any number of ways where you have doubted someone along the way. And my guess is, if you're like me, there have been moments where maybe you even doubted God. Or you wonder to yourself, is this story really true? I mean, Jesus coming to earth, I mean, it's all written down there, but is everything actually as it says? Does God really hear me? Does he want community with me? Is he really there and listening? Because I'm just not real sure about my purpose and my direction. And as I talk to him, it doesn't seem like there's any connectivity. There's nothing interchanged. Is it true? And we at times, if we're honest, have had doubts whether or not God is truly active in our life. Whether the Holy Spirit is interacting with us on a level that would be so personal and intimate. We could feel him in us. And so as we unpack this text in Mark chapter 12, it's important for us to realize that we've been called to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in doing so, we may feel that connectivity, the purpose that we so long for in life. And our text begins in Mark chapter 12 and verse 30. Jesus says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. We're called to love God with every ounce of our fiber, every piece of who we are. Every moment within our life, whether it is emotionally or spiritually or with our logic, with our strength, all of that comes into play. Not just one, not just on a Sunday morning event, but every moment of our life should be connected to God. And as we feel through that, as we think through that and try to discover our purpose and what story is unfolding around us that we need to be a part of, we ask that question, God, are you there? Are you real? Are you hearing me in my life? 
You see, there's a moment like that in my own life. When I was in the middle of ministry, I was a youth and family minister, and I'd just gone to work for a church in central Oklahoma. I'd showed up and uh, realized that there was no summer camp for the high school, just kids and the junior high. And so I thought, this, this needs to be fixed, and I began to work on how that camp could really come together. The first summer there, I was still working through that process, and so in 2001, made a decision to take the senior high group to Camp Blue Haven in northeastern New Mexico. Beautiful setting. Absolutely gorgeous, set in the mountains, creek running through the camp, long hikes during the day, log cabins. It's a typical, beautiful camp-type setting. But that summer, I was asking those very questions about God. God, are you real? Do you have purpose for me in my life? Am I really making a difference in what I'm doing? Am I leaning into the story you've called me into? Am I hearing your voice correctly? So many times when I ask that question, it's usually a few weeks later. I usually get some communication, whether it's a text, an email, a phone call from a kid who's been in my youth group and now they're out in the adult world and they're writing me back, letting me know, thank you for bearing with me. (laughs) Thank you for journeying with me during my stubborn, rebellious years. I see now what you were doing and I thank you for not giving up on me. Those are so encouraging moments Moments when you realize, okay, maybe, maybe somebody's listening. (laughs) Maybe I'm doing the right thing. Well, that summer in 2001, when I was having those questions and doubts in my own mind, if I was doing what I was called to do, we loaded up, me and the two guys who decided to go with me, Brian and Travis, and we're still great friends to this day, but the three of us headed off to Camp Blue Haven, and we spent the week there. I was going as a Bible teacher. So when we got there, we checked into our cabins, and I was in a cabin with other Bible class teachers, and the topic of discussion for me in my class that particular week was how to hear the voice of God, because that's what I was struggling with at that moment in my life. How do you really feel spiritual? How do you feel connected to God Almighty? And so I kind of had this system worked out throughout the course of the week. There was a a creek near our cabin. And so what I would do at the time, I was reading through the book, The Prayer of Jabez, asking God to expand my territory, to grant me this prayer, this wish. So I'd take my book and my Bible and my personal meditation time early in the morning, and I would go out by the creek. And it was just me and God and nature. And it was gorgeous. It was calming. It was a place to create margin and to hear things maybe you'd never heard before. And so I would be in deep meditation and prayer on Sunday and then Monday morning and then finally Tuesday morning rolled around and I asked God for a specific answer to prayer. I said, God, if you're real, if this is what I'm supposed to be doing, I want you to send me a specific job today, a specific assignment today. And I went off to our classroom area. I had an outdoor classroom area. It was awesome. It was in the middle of the woods, and there were these great big boulders around, and the trees encircled the area where the teens were sitting, and I was sitting on the teaching stone, if you will. It was almost like a Lord of the Rings moment. It was great. <laughs> there were no orcs close. No, no orcs. But it was as if the trees were holding hands around that area. As we sang, as we prayed together, as we studied the Word of God, it seemed very nature itself had come alive in the moment. 
And I remember after Tuesday, class was over, we began to walk down the hill back to our next assignment. And a girl by the name of Pam, 17 years old, walked up beside me and she was crying. And she said, Tim, I want you to help me with something. My youth minister and I were button heads. We're not getting along well. I'm kind of rebellious and I'm outspoken, but I want to fix that. I want to be different. I want us to get along. And so we talked for a little bit about some things that she might could do to help kind of smooth that relationship over. We went about our way, went on with the course of the day. Wednesday morning came and I found myself early morning back at the creek with my Bible and my book and my prayer, asking God, reveal your purpose in me. Tell me what I'm supposed to be doing. Confirm me that I'm doing the right thing. And so once again, I prayed, God, give me a specific appointment today, something only I can attend to. We went to breakfast and I sat down with my two guys, uh, Travis and Brian, and we had a a hearty camp breakfast of cornflakes and two things of chocolate milk. It was great. (laughs) And I remember as we were finishing up our meal, a redheaded guy by the name of Philip came in, sat down right across from me at the table. And he said, Tim, I want to talk to you about something very important to me. Could you meet me at two o'clock on the deck of the mess hall? I said, sure. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. You're here. I'm here. Let's meet. Cool. What about our course of our day? Two o'clock came around. I met Phil on the, on the deck, and we talked about 30 or 40 minutes because he had a very close friend who was an atheist. And his question was, how do I talk to him about Jesus? Because I want him to have a relationship with Jesus without pushing him away, without dissolving our relationship. And we talked, and I gave some sage advice, I thought. And so he was satisfied and went on his way. We both went through the course of the day, not seeing each other again. And then we were at together, the whole camp, students, staff, in one room for worship Wednesday night, midweek. The lights were out, candles were lit, and the kids were singing powerfully that night. And I distinctly remember, like it was last night, we were singing the song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord, and I began to weep uncontrollably. Because in that moment, what I had realized is that God had answered my prayer Tuesday and Wednesday, and I had not recognized it. And he had sent me a specific person to help. He had sent me somebody along the way to reconfirm, Tim, this is what you're supposed to be doing. You're moving in the right direction. I've got a purpose for you in your life. Listen to me. Listen to my voice. And it confirmed that, yes, I'm supposed to be in full-time church work. I'm supposed to be interacting with families and teens. It was a great feeling in the moment to hear the voice of God. And what you realize in the moment, you feel so small when you're up against an incredible God, is that God can do the impossible. And God can and will do the impossible in your life as well. But you and I have to make time and margin in our life to hear the voice of God. We've got to have moments each and every day where we are prayerfully meditating on who God is. We're in his word. We're gathering with other like-minded Christians who are helping, encouraging us on the journey together. So that we can lean into the story that God is unfolding in the world and we can be a part of the community in which he's called us. The story reminds me of a biblical story in Judges 6 and 7. Now, we won't go there and read that, but I want to tell you the story. 
You see, this was before the time of, of kings in Israel. There were 13 judges prior to King Saul, the first king to, to appear. And so these judges ruled the land from time to time when it was needed. And there were moments throughout the course of these judges where Israel would come back to God and then they would fall away from God. And Judges chapter 6 is one of those moments. It starts out by saying, and Israel again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And God allowed to happen in order to get his people back focused on him, allowed some negative things to happen in their life. And the text says for seven years, the Midianites came into the land of Israel and terrorized the people. That, that it was so horrific that the Israelites would run to the mountains and hide in the caves. This bully, the Midianites, would come in during harvest time and they would collect all of the food that Israel had grown and take it with them. They would take all the livestock. It, it was horrific. And for seven years, this was the case until finally Israel figured out, oh, we need to reconnect to God. We need his saving grace. We need him in our life. And they begin to call out to God, cry out to God. And so an angel of the Lord was sent to the hero of the story. And where do we find our hero, Gideon? He's hiding out in a wine press. He's kind of below ground and he's thrashing grain just enough to put together some heads of grain to make himself some food. And the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and says, mighty hero. I don't know about you. That's not where I find a mighty hero hiding out in a wine press. <laughs> mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And like me, Gideon answers, if that is so, why is all of this stuff happening to us? What about all the stories we've heard about the exodus from Egypt and all the great different miracles that God has done along the way? Where is that God now? And the angel of the Lord says, he's calling you into his service. It's time for you to rise up and become that leader. And Gideon, like so many of us, makes an excuse. Well, you see, I'm the smallest guy, the shortest guy. In the smallest tribe of all of Israel, how in the world could I be this hero? Because God is the God of the impossible, that's why. He is the creator and can do anything he wants to. And he's chosen you, chosen you to lead. And so Gideon, like any of us, says, I want some confirmation in this. I want to offer you a sacrifice. So you wait here. Let me go home and prepare a meal, and I'll bring it back to you. So sure enough, he goes home to his father's house. He kills a goat. He prepares the meat. He prepares the bread, brings it back to the angel of the Lord, sets it on top of a rock. And the text says that the angel of the Lord with his staff simply touches the offering, and fire comes up from the rock and consumes everything. And it's in that moment that Gideon realizes, I am in the presence of the Lord. And he falls on his face fearful that he's about to die. But the angel says, get up. The Lord is with you. And so in that moment, it's a very worshipful moment, realizing that God is in your story, you are in God's story, and he's calling you further into the story. And so Gideon builds an altar to God in that moment, in that place. A worshipful moment. And then Gideon goes home ready to hear more from God. 
And so in the night, the angel of the Lord comes back to him and he says, your father has an altar prepared for Baal, a false god, not Yahweh. And beside his altar is an Asherah pole, Baal's consort. I want you to go out in the night and tear down those altars and take that material and rebuild an altar to Yahweh. And so Gideon gets up in the dead of the night. He takes his dad's seven-year-old bull out to the area, tears down the altar, the Asherah pole, rebuilds everything, lights the altar, kills the bull, and sacrifices the bull to God Almighty. Gideon is listening to the voice of God. He's following the voice of God. And the next morning when the village wakes up, they realize and see that that the altar is now demolished and a new altar is in place. And the text says in verse 34 that the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. Another verse says that the spirit of the Lord possessed Gideon. But know in those moments that Gideon has created space, even with questioning, created space to connect with God in community. He's built an altar, he's tore down an altar, and now he's rebuilt another altar. And in those moments, worshipful moments, moments of margin, that's when God has come upon Gideon. And so the question remains for me and you this morning is, what, what altars in our lives need to be torn down for us to connect with God better? What idols exist in your life and my life in order for us to connect to the community of God, to be one with his voice and his calling? How he's called us out of the world to be different than those around us. What altars need to be torn down and rebuilt? And I don't know what your altar is. It's different than mine. Maybe, maybe in your life it's an addiction that you continue to go back to over and over and over. Maybe in your own life it's selfishness and just rebellion. I don't know what your particular altar is, but each and every one of us are called in the story of God to examine where we find ourselves and tear down those altars so that we can rebuild the story for the glory of God. We're called in that moment to listen to how God is calling us and using us in his story to give him glory in all things. So very important. The spirit of the Lord comes upon Gideon only after he makes a stand with God on three different occasions. In order to, to be clear about God in our life, you and I are going to have to tear down some things that we for whatever reason, hold precious. And move those out of the way so we can better hear the voice of God. Now, what's interesting in Gideon's story is he is so much like me and like you. He's had all of this confirmation from the angel of the Lord that God is truly with him, that God's calling him out. And on into chapter 6, Gideon says, okay, God, now don't, don't be angry with me, but... I'm going to need a little more proof. Anybody like that in here? I hear your voice. I hear your voice. I see this thing happening, but one more time, just to make sure. And Gideon says, when I go to sleep tonight, I'm going to put a a sheepskin outside my tent, and I want you to make the sheepskin wet while the ground is dry around that wool. 
And sure enough, he goes to sleep, gets up the next morning. The text says that he wrings out a bowl full of water, yet the ground is dry. Enough confirmation, right? Nope, because Gideon's just like me and you. He says, God, don't be upset with me. Don't, don't hold it as a sin against me. But one more time tonight, I'm going to put the wool skin back out again. But I want the ground to be wet and the wool to be dry. I mean, he's going nine ways to Sunday about this to make sure, right? And sure enough, he gets up the next morning. The ground is wet. The wool is dry. And Gideon gets his marching orders to be God's hero, God's servant in the moment. He's listening to the story. He's a part of the community. He's giving his soul. To God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And what we find out in the story of getting is true for him and it's true for us. With this first idea of being that God invites you into community with him. God invites you into community with him. I mean, from the very beginning of time, God has lived in community. Genesis chapter 1, God says, let us make humankind in our image. He says, let us. God, from the beginning of time, loves community. He's in community, and he wants to be in community with you. You are his creation, his beloved. You are his children, and he desperately wants you to be a part of what he is doing in the world. Which leads us to the second idea, that God invites you into his story to be a part of what he is doing in the world. And here is the cool thing I think about God. Whether you believe in him or not, God's story is unfolding in the world right now. Because he's the God of the impossible. But he invites you and me into that story. To be a, a helper. To be a hero. To be someone who's called into telling the story of grace that each and every one of us need so desperately. And as each and every one of us use the excuses like, I'm the smallest guy from the smallest tribe in the whole land. Why in the world would you use me? We get confirmed each and every day that we listen to God and his story. That God will do the seemingly impossible through you. God will do. That seemingly impossible thing through you. And you're sitting there this morning thinking, yeah, but you don't know my sin. You don't know my story. You don't know where I've been. And thank God for Jesus Christ in all of that. Because it's through Jesus Christ that God forgets our sin and offers grace and calls us into his story anyway. Isn't that glorious, church? What a beautiful thing you and I get to experience because God loves us so very much. There's an incredible story in the New Testament in Acts chapter 12. The, the church is going gangbusters. Things are going really well for the church. The word is spreading about the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And what they call the way, we call the church. The way is growing. More people are following and in Jerusalem, the, the leaders are getting really worried about all of that. And King Herod knows that. In Acts chapter 12, the first part of the chapter, chapter 1 and 2, it says that he arrests James and puts him to death by the sword. And King Herod sees how that excites the crowd. How the other Jews in town are loving the fact that they're about to get a wrangle on this new idea. And we're going to do away with it. They get excited about James being put to death. And so 
Herod simply goes for the juggler vein and he arrests Peter. Peter, the right-hand man of Jesus Christ, the foundation of the church, one of the pillars in the community of faith. Peter's now arrested. Herod puts four different guards on him. He's chained to each one and puts him in the bowels of the dungeon in town. Peter is not going anywhere. And there's no question that Peter knows what his fate is. He just saw it happen to James. And so the church does what any church might do. And they get together and they begin to pray fervently for God's will to be expressed. For for God to have his way with the situation. That indeed Peter would be released from prison. After all, we believe in a God of the impossible, right? Peter, please be released from the dungeon. Because we believe in a God who does the impossible. And as they're praying that night late in that house, the text says an angel of the Lord enters the dungeon and walks over to Peter and kind of punches him in the side and says, it's time to get up. The chains fall off of his wrists and his ankles. The guards remain asleep. The angel says, put your clothes on. We're about to leave. Peter gets up, reclothes himself, puts the sandals on, and the angel leads him through the labyrinth of the dungeon until they finally get to the door that exits out to the main street. The angel opens the door. Peter walks out into the darkness. Now he's standing on Main Street. The angel disappears, and Peter says, What now? Where do I go? What do I do? And the only thing he knows to do is to go find the church, his support system. And sure enough, he finds the home and he knocks on the door. And the text says that a servant girl by the name of Rhoda comes to the door, opens up the little little uh, window there to see who's outside. And it's, it's Peter. So she runs back to the church who is fervently praying for Peter's release, who believes in a God that can do the impossible. And Rhoda says, Peter's at the door. And they say, no, you're just imagining things. It's just his ghost. Let's keep praying. Isn't that us so many times? God, I believe in you. You can do anything you want to, but really, I'm not sure you're going to do this. Finally, they realize that it really is Peter at the door. They invite him in. There is much celebration. And I'm reminded in the moment of this story that God is a God of the impossible. And you and I can connect to that, be a part of that story if we'll create margin in our life to have a prayerful life. To dig into his word to discover how we're called to live. To be the kind of people that want to serve those around us and look like Jesus. It's in those moments when we hear the voice of God how we're called to live that great things will happen for you and for me for the glory of God. And you and I are called into that story. We're called into that story that's unfolding in the world around us. We're called into community with God Almighty through his son Jesus Christ. Why? And you may be sitting there thinking this morning, not me. I'm praying, but eh. know this, that God is the God of the impossible. And he can and will do great things in your life. But you and I have some altars to tear down. You and I have some things going on in our life that we need to do away with in order to better connect to the story of God. I want to love God with all of my soul, spiritually. And it's more than just a Sunday morning event like this, church. It's every day of our life. 
Or we wake up and we create margin every day to talk to God, to see how he speaks to us through his word and other people, through nature. There are great ways for you and I to see how God is moving us and leading us and helping us be everything that we are created to do. And that's the challenge this morning is that you and I will do what we were created to do. And that is to give God glory in everything we do and we say. You don't have to know all the steps that that means. You just simply have to take the next step. So what is that for you in your life? What is the thing that you need to move away, to get rid of, to tear down in order to take the next step, to be better plugged in to the story of God in your life? You and I are being called right now by God the Creator to do great and mighty things in His name. He's calling you hero. He's calling you out to join Him in that story. And so you and I have to make a decision today. Am I willing to join Him in the story? Am I truly willing to be a part of the story of someone who is the God of the impossible? And this morning I say yes. What about you? I hope that you will join me in wanting to be a part of what God is doing in the world. Loving him with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind and all your strength. With every facet of who you are to bring glory to him in every single way. Now as we sing this next song, our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And maybe there's something going on in your life, some altar that you're struggling getting rid of, some temptation that continues to re- reoccur. And let me encourage you to go seek prayer with one of our shepherds. Let them pray for you and over you. But maybe today you're saying, I want to be a part of this story. I've never been baptized, but today's the day I want to be baptized into Christ to receive his Holy Spirit in me so that I can go out and overcome this world. I want to be a light in my community, in my school, in my family, in my neighborhood. I want to be everything God has created me to be. And that's the invitation this morning, the call, that you and I would hear the voice of God clearly and enter into that story that he's calling you into. I hope that you will think about that this week. What can you do to better connect with God who's already calling you into a story? Let's stand together and praise his name.